Right, okay, let's uh, let's begin with uh, a starter for ten. Okay, let's uh, begin with a question, uh, not for me, but for you uh, to uh, consider. Here we go. Right, in a time like this, right, in a time of pandemic and suffering, what issues would you say are most critical in the life of God's church? Right, there's your starter for 10. That's the thing that I want you to mull over for a moment. In a time like this, in a time of pandemic, time of suffering, what needs most to be focused on by the people of God, for the God? Now, what, what are you doing with that? Where are you going as I say that to you? Time like this, what, what we need to focus on? I think immediately some of us think about Christian fellowship. I wonder if I'm right about that. I think I am, aren't I? That some of us immediately think, on a time like this, we've, we've got to keep in contact with people. We've got to pursue Christian unity. I think others watching online just now, you maybe go somewhere else. Maybe you think immediately about the ministry of the words and evangelism, how these things must continue regardless of the scenario uh, we find ourselves in. Now, here's the, the, the truth. That, those are great. Those are amazing answers. This is what I want you to understand. Hear me. That in the portion of Scripture that we're studying today, the Almighty Eternal God gives us an answer to that question of what is important just now. God gives us an answer. And I want to suggest to you, it is an answer from God that is going to come as a bit of a surprise. See, you think about it with me. What are we studying? What, what is this? What is it? And Peter is writing a letter to a group of Christians, in a sense like us, right? A group of Christians who are, who are going through a really tough time. They're suffering. They're struggling. But here's the point. Wait for it. Hang on. <laughs> as he writes to them, what subject does he turn to as he finishes his letter? <laughs> How does he close his book? Isn't that a bit strange? You know, as Peter closes this book, he turns to the subject of church governance, of leadership with the church. I mean, are you not a little bit surprised? Are you not saying, well, Peter, of all the things in this whole world, of all the topics in the church that you could turn to in a time of crisis, you want to write to us about eldership? Do you see what we learn we see that even in a time of suffering, no, I'm going to say this, especially in a time of suffering, the people of God, we need to maintain a biblical view and a biblical understanding of church leadership. It is imperative for the glory of God. So you're with me? Okay, we're, we're thinking about church leadership. Fine. Okay, but what does Peter actually say about this in a time of crisis? Well, eh, I've called the sermon, I mean, I'm never a big one for naming sermons. It's always a bit naff, isn't it? But I've called the sermon this morning, the four R's of eldership. The four R's of eldership. Why? Well, because here Peter teaches us about, make sure you get them, the role of elders, the rule of elders, the reward for elders, and then the response to elders. And I know that some of you like to take scribble notes at home, so I'm going to do it again. I'm going to tell you them again. The role of elders, the rule of elders, the reward 
four elders. And then the last one is the response to the elders. You've got them, the four R's of uh, eldership. Okay, so we've all got a Bible. We're all sitting at home. We're all comfortable. We've got our cup of tea and our toast. We've got our scripture open. So let's think about the first of those, the role of elders. Okay, now... Right, it's stating the obvious, isn't it? And it's actually me repeating myself. But London City Presbyterian Church is one really diverse congregation, isn't it? We are from all over the world, different parts of the globe, from different theological persuasions. So, before we kind of get our teeth into 1 Peter chapter 5, there's maybe a question that we need to address, isn't there? Can you see what it is? Some of us are not from Presbyterian churches. Some of us are not from Presbyterian backgrounds. Do you see the question? Peter's talking about elders? Like, what exactly are, or who exactly are these guys? Well, uh, here this is important. From the very start, from the very outset, what we find in the New Testament are churches being governed by groups of men, and these men were called elders. Now, so, so do you see it? So it's not just uh, the men that just happen to be the oldest blokes in the church. That's not what we're dealing with. It's the idea of men who were appointed by the congregation for spiritual leadership. I think actually, to be honest with you, although it can be contentious, I think it's really pretty straightforward. So it's the idea that churches are not to be ruled by the democratic decisions of a congregation. Uh-huh. And churches are not to be ruled by your know, on a hierarchical system with a bishop up here and a diocese beneath. It's the idea that churches are to be governed by groups of men. Now listen to this. Is groups of men on an equal footing. And these are groups of men who are working together to lead the church, to provide spiritual leadership. Who are they? What's their name? They are elders of the church. Fine, good, elders. But what are they to do? Well, uh, this year, you and I have seen more bottles of hand wash than ever before. Isn't that right? As I speak to you uh, here this morning, I think it is probably literally true that there are more bottles of hand wash in this room than there are uh, people. Okay, and uh, this week I read the back of a bottle of hand wash. Uh, because that's the sort of cool book uh, that I, I am. And in amongst all the details about hand wash was one particular phrase that was in bold and in large typeface. And it said this, it said quite simply, do not drink. <laughs> it's like note to self, Andy, do not drink uh, the hand wash. Okay, well, in a sense, that's the sort of thing that we've got in front of us just now. Because on your page, in amongst all of this information about eldership, who they are and so forth, Peter has one absolutely central phrase that I think if he could have, he would have had it in bold print and he would have had it in large print, and you'll see it at the beginning of verse 2. And I would ask you to, to look there. So we're asking, elders, uh, what is the essence of their job? What do these men do? And you see what Peter says? It's in bold. It's shepherd the flock of God. That's the role of elders. Now, 
you're with me, I reckon, when I say that that metaphor of shepherding is so familiar to us in God's Word. It's one of those instances that it could just float by us this morning, right? We could be distracted. This idea of an elder's a shepherd, it just floats on by. But you, you wrestle with it for a second. Let me say this to you. Dick Haffenden, <laughs> Gabriel Amarim is a shepherd. Like, I thought Gabriel was some sort of computer whiz kid or some computer egg. A shepherd? Like, what does this mean? Well, let me just chuck out here four bullet points, four sub-points that we learn here, I think. First is this. If an elder is a shepherd, then an elder is to lead. Can I ask you, what picture comes to mind when I ask you to envisage a shepherd? What do you think about when you think about a shepherd? Um, maybe just because I'm Scottish, um, but I think about some bloke in a field, in the rain probably, with a flat cap, and he's whistling at a dog and getting the dog to do all the work. That's a, that's a shepherd for me. But in a sense, that's not helpful, right? In a sense, that's not correct. Because what do we know? We know that shepherds in the ancient world, they weren't just people who rounded up sheep. They were men who went ahead of the sheep, weren't they? In the first century world, a shepherd set the course for the sheep. The shepherd went ahead of the sheep, and the sheep followed on behind. And I'm saying to you, isn't that really informative? Like, isn't it very helpful? We're asking, what are elders doing in the life of the church? Don't you see it? If they're shepherds, they are supposed to chart the course for the people of God. Elders are supposed to lead, lead the church. Then a second sub-point, if elders are shepherds, they're also to protect the people of God. Oh, even as I say that to you this morning, if you know your Bible, you recognize that, don't you, the protection of elders? I mean, think about it. I mean, how many times in the New Testament are we warned about the dangers of false teaching and false teachers. If you know your Bible, you know that's everywhere in Scripture. And how is it that these false teachers are portrayed to us? You know the common metaphor, don't you? These men are wolves, aren't they? They're ferocious wolves. They're they're wolves that are ready to attack the sheep of God. They are wolves that the elders are to protect us from. So they lead, the elders, right? You with me? And they protect the church. A third thing the elders do is that they supervise the people of God. I want you to uh, look with me to verse 2 again. How about we gander at verse 2? Move on there with me. So do you see how this metaphor of shepherding is kind of modified? Do you see it? Elders, they shepherd, but they now listen to the words, the exercise oversight. Isn't that something? Let me name them again before you. Dick Haffenden, Adam de Jong, Gabriel Amarim, Harrison Perkins, the elders of your church, if you're not part of LCPC, what are they to do? I mean, isn't it something? These are men called by God, appointed by you. Why? To actually guide you and to exercise discipline in your life actually to provide direction for you elders they oversee 
and then the last of the subpoints. You got them, did you? Elders lead, they protect, they, they supervise. The last one is actually, you know, from my personal perspective, I think it's the most, in a sense, in- interesting. Because if you look back on the historical commentators, you know, guys like Luther and Calvin and the, the Puritans, they focus on this almost exclusively, this next one. So, yeah, yeah, leadership and, and protection and fine. But they all focus on this most of all. You ready for it? Elders of their shepherds must nourish the flock. They must feed the people of God through the ministry Oh, wait, through the ministry of his word, wait. Maybe it's now that the penny drops for you. Maybe you see why this idea of nourishing the sheep must have been at the forefront of the author of this letter. Because who writes this? Peter. And what do you know about Peter? That having denied his Lord three times, he's reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ on that shore in the Sea of Galilee and Jesus stands before him and what does Jesus say to Peter he looks at him and says Peter feed them feed the lambs care for the sheep feed the sheep Peter surely if you're listening focusing here you agree with me that to be an elder is a great responsibility and how they need your prayers so we see the role of elders secondly much more briefly let me say as well we see also the rule of elders the rule of elders okay we've all been there right we've all been there especially this time of year getting towards christmas in a normal year you go in to marks and spencers or wherever you buy your clothes going to Primark, or if you're a bit posh, you go into John Lewis, wherever it might be, and what do you encounter? Dun, 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 you encounter a grumpy cashier. We've all been there. We've all had that experience, haven't we? You go up to the counter with your pants or your socks, and there's the shop assistant, and the shop assistant does not smile, or she does not even look at you. And she just grabs your card, and she chucks your socks into a bag. You could argue... She's done her job. I suppose technically she has done her job. You know, she's given us the stuff. She's taken our money. But the manner, you know, the approach that she's used, oh, it leaves you feeling a bit ill, doesn't it? Maybe some of you watching have actually been that moody <laughs> shop assistant uh, yourself. Well, you see that idea? Again, that's what we're dealing with here. Because from Peter addressing what elders are to do, shepherd. What Peter does is he turns to how elders are to do this. The approach or the manner that elders should evidence, okay? And maybe the eagle-eyed amongst you, <laughs> if you've if you read the text carefully, maybe you noticed that Peter lays out before you three contrasts to notice about how an elder is to behave. Let's look at it really briefly. For the first, look at the middle of verse 2 for the first contrast. Do you see it? So elders are to lead. Look at the words. Not, what does it say? Come on, read it. Not under compulsion, but willingly. So elders, shepherds in our church, other churches, they're to lead 
but not under compulsion. Maybe you're sitting at home and you are scratching your your head thinking, well, what does that mean for an elder? How can he lead under compulsion? You need not scratch your head because there's a couple of areas of Scripture that really help us on this. You don't have to turn them up. Let, let me just throw them out to you. The first is Hebrews 13. Listen. There we learn that an elder is to lead with, wait for it, with joy and not with grumbling. Okay, that helps us. And then there's a second area in Scripture. Now this is, now you listen to it, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now I say that to you, you actually know what 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is about, don't you? It's about giving in the church, isn't it? It's about money, it's about tithing. But do you remember what Paul said about that and how we are to give? Do you remember what he said? We are to give cheerfully. And then he says, and we are to give not under compulsion. The very same phrase that Peter uses here. Do you see the idea? Do you see it? Peter's saying the elders are to lead with enthusiasm. We are to lead, elders are to lead with joy. The, even though elders have to give up so much of their time to the life of the church, even if they, they bear so many of the people of God's burdens, the elders must not succumb to groaning, grudging service, but keep their eyes on Christ and the joy he brings, not under compulsion. But I want you to keep reading. Get to the end of verse 2. What's the second contrast here? Do you see it? Elders are also not to lead for shameful gain but eagerly got it not for shameful gain i'll let you into a little secret i actually don't think we need to spend very much time on that at all i think that is incredibly straightforward isn't it you get it just by the nature of an elder's role an elder has opportunity or access to church funds, doesn't he? Isn't that it? By the very nature of his role, he's got access to the common pot. And Peter's quite clearly saying, an elder must resist the temptation and dip his dirty hand into that and to use it for personal gain. But, if we don't have to linger on the second contrast, we absolutely have to note the third one. You see, this week, uh, I read, it was a heartbreaking thing, really. Uh, but I read uh, just excerpts of a report, and it was a, a report of the latest in a long line of prominent ministers, prominent pastors, who had, he had fallen away and been, he had to resign. There was a scandal. Um, I'm pretty sure if you've, you've been in a church any length of time, you are sick uh, to the back teeth of hearing about these sorts of stories. Now, the one that I was reading about this, this time was not adultery. It wasn't sexual sin for a change. Uh, but you know that if it wasn't adultery and sexual sin, you know what it was. It was a story about an elder and a minister abusing his power. That's what it was. It was an accusation of bullying, substantiated, proven accusations. The accusations of, of an overpowering, overbearing leadership style. And in light of that, such a common idea for us to hear, 
would you not notice verse 3 and the abiding relevance of God's word? Because what does Peter demand? Look at it. Verse 3, elders must lead, but not domineering. Not domineering, but providing an example for the flock. And if you know your Bible, if you're grounded well in the Bible, you know exactly what Peter's doing there. Do you see it? He's following after Jesus. He's restating what Jesus said, that church leadership has to be the inverse of the leadership we see in the world. That we must not, what did Jesus say? We must not lord it over the people of God. And in light of that, I'm sure you'll forgive me and you'll allow me to speak directly to the elders and any pastors who might be watching this. Men, if you're an elder, a pastor, listen. What are you thinking? As you read 1 Peter 5 and you think about your own life, what comes to mind? Do you think, oh, there's a lot to ponder there, actually. There's a, there's a lot for me to consider in First Peter 5. Is that what you're thinking? Let me suggest there needs to be more from you. And I want to suggest that in all of our leadership, there are areas where not just thought, but repentance needs to take place. Repentance. We see here, to paraphrase somebody else, we see here that elders must not lead for profit. They must not lead for power and they must never lead for praise so the role of elders the rule of elders and then more briefly still and we see the reward for elders you got it the reward uh, for elders isn't it interesting don't you think to see how uh, the apostle peter describes himself in this section of scripture. I don't know if you noticed it. It is actually the most detailed self-description he gives in the whole of his letter. Okay? Here, in chapter 5, he's waited till chapter 5 to describe himself. And he doesn't say, oh, I'm Peter. <laughs> I'm, I'm an apostle of God. And he doesn't talk about himself being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do, do you see? He refers to himself as a fellow elder in verse 1. That's great. That's amazing. That means Peter is someone who understands the stresses and the strains of overseeing a church. And it means Peter knows that very often elders need motivating. The elders need gospel motivation. So I'm going to ask all of you to do this. I know it's difficult when you're at home. And maybe the kids are distracting you or you're tired and I get it's difficult. But I would ask that everyone who's watching just now at this point to see the motivation, would you look to verse 4? Go on, look at verse 4. Let's do it together. Now do you see it? As always, what does Peter do? He points us ahead. Let me use the technical term to the parousia to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's where we're looking. And what does he say? Ah, oh, elders, pastors, read it. On that day, elders will receive a diadem, a crown. And literally, in, in the original, like Peter mentions what is called an amaranth. Now, that was a, a red flower 
in the Middle East that never, ever lost its color. So do you see what he's saying? Elders are set to receive what an unfeeding, unfeeding crown and a crown of glory. And if you are an elder watching, come on, man. Isn't that exciting, special honor, heavenly blessing from Christ? But actually, for all of you, it is the title that Peter uses for Jesus Christ in verse 4 that I really want you to get and to grasp. Do you see what it is? How is Christ described? He is the chief shepherd. It's the idea in the ancient world where one individual was appointed to oversee the under-shepherds in a big, massive, large flock. Now, my question for you is this. Are you engage with this. What does that term do for you just now? You hear it. Christ is who? He is the King of Kings? Yes, but He is the Chief Shepherd. What does that provoke in your mind, in your heart? Chief Shepherd. What does it remind you of, let's say? How would you answer that? Chief Shepherd. You might say, well, Andy, it reminds me of the responsibility the elders have. They're not just to lead. They're actually accountable to Jesus Christ himself. And I would say bye to you. That's perfect. You're right. But chief shepherd, I want to suggest something more. I want to suggest that that title this morning should remind you at this very moment of the wonder, the majesty of the gospel itself. See, I do, as an elder and as a a, a pastor, I do wonder whether through the chaos of lockdown and through the misery of a pandemic, I wonder whether as a church we are taking our eyes off the very glory of the good news and what God has done for us. Are we losing sight of of our guilt and our sin? Who are we? What were we? You know, we all, like sheep, (laughs) have gone astray. Each one of us, each one of you, watching just now, turning away, rebelling against God. And what has God done? Think about it. Praise Him. The chief shepherd has come for His sheep that the very Son of God has laid down his life for his sheep. He scooped up the lost of his flock into his arms, reconciling us to Almighty God. Even now, as I speak to you, this chief shepherd, he cares for his flock. He tends his sheep. The sheep hear his voice, and we follow him. Don't you see? This term should prompt us immediately to praise God for what he has done for us as rebels. And this term should provide all the motivation in this world an elder is going to need to serve Jesus Christ and to serve his church. And then last, and most briefly of all, we've seen the role, the rule, the reward. Lastly, the response to elders. Because I get it. I know it's difficult to be at home, and I know there's objections you might have right now. Like you might be saying, but there's nothing in this for me. You know, sitting at home saying, but I'm not, Andy, I'm not an elder. You know, okay, man, I get it. 
what we should expect from our shepherds. And I get, I get how now I have to pray for the elders, but I'm not an elder. So some of this seems largely removed from my life. And you wonder if you're thinking that this morning. Well, as Peter closes, what he does is he turns from speaking to the elders to speaking to the congregation, to speaking to you. But I don't want you just to take my word for it. I want you to see that that's true. So look at verse 5. Here's my question for you as you look at verse 5. To whom does he speak? Go on now. What's the title he uses, the term that he uses? He speaks now to the younger. (laughs) Here's the truth of it. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, that can't be me, the younger. Maybe there's a few more gray hairs uh, than there used to be. Maybe as you sit at home, your knees are beginning to creak and beginning to ache. Maybe it's some sort of Earl Grey or an old person's tea that you've got in your hands at the moment. You're thinking, the younger? This cannot be for me. But do you not see what Peter's doing? He's contrasting. Speak to all those he contrasts with the elders. He's speaking, yes, to young people. He's speaking to all those who are not elders. He's speaking to all those who are not leaders of the church. He is speaking to you. And because of that, surely you have to embrace what here God commands the church. He commands his people to, listen to the words, to be subject to their elders. So I need to ask, what's your first impulse when you hear that? Your first thought? As God calls you to submission for your elders, tell you what I think. I think there's something in our hearts that hates that. I think that that is one of the most overlooked and often ignored commands in all of the Bible. Maybe you exactly see why. What did we say earlier on? We said LCPC was a, a diverse congregation. Like we've, we've all, a part of this church, we've all been in other churches in different parts of the world. My question for you is, have you ever been in a church where the eldership has not been maligned? Have you ever been in a church where the elders have not been like criticized or, or moaned about behind our backs? You know, forget COVID for a second. We live through a pandemic of elders being undermined in churches up and down the land and across the world. And because that is the reality, and because it so damages the witness and the work of the church, I want you to hear the appeal. LCPC, let us be different to that. Let us stand out. You need to take it from me that being an elder through a pandemic, with all of the decisions and the pastoral concerns, it is very difficult for these men. Let us not rebel against them. Let us not seek to undermine them. But let's seek to obey this and be subject to and supportive of these men who have been called by God to lead the people of God. And then I will end with us. Peter closes. Did you notice he appeals for humility from elders and from everybody else? Humility. Actually, more precisely, he ends by quoting a proverb from the Old Testament. This is what we want to do. Perhaps it is that you sitting at home just now or you're sitting watching this on your phone, your TV, your computer and perhaps you are not a Christian think about it perhaps you're not following Christ perhaps you're not born again and asking you if you're not a Christian to consider the implications of the proverb for your life you ready for it? listen, if you're not a Christian 
Peter speaks of God. He reveals something of God's nature and what he's like. And he tells you, God is a God who opposes the proud, but God also gives grace to the humble. Do you see the implications of that for your own life? If you continue in unbelief, if you continue to think, I've got this. I have no need for Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings. Then, friend, if you continue like that, you are set to face the opposition of God forevermore. But, what's the other side of it? If even now you realize I am a sinner and I need salvation, if you realize I need Jesus, if you realize you cannot secure a right relationship with God of your own accord, don't you see the good news? Here in the gospel, God offers you grace, undeserved blessing. So surely it is that even now, You fall humbly before Jesus Christ and you pray and you plead with him for mercy and salvation. Surely as even now, what you do is you enter by the gate and you come into the flock of God and you come to know the love and the protection, the oversight and care of the one who is the chief shepherd of his people, the chief shepherd of his church. Friends, let us bow as we close this morning and let's pray. Gracious uh, God, we all like sheep have gone astray from you and we deserve nothing but your opposition and your condemnation. And uh, we close marveling at the good news of the gospel. We thank you for our shepherd. We thank you that he will lead us to lie down in green pastures, that we know peace in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask you to save people this morning. Awaken them to their need and to great, great salvation available through the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.